Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. Once again, I am your host, Christina McAteer. And on behalf of Brown Emergency Medicine and the Brown Emergency Medicine blog, I welcome you to Money Minutes for Doctors, a podcast focused on financial wellness for you as a physician. We had the pleasure of welcoming our featured guest, Ms. Catherine Vesnes. How are you today, Catherine? I'm having another fabulous day. Thanks, Christy. I hope you are too. Always. Frame it in the positive. (laughs) Exactly. So I see here the topic today is when Catherine gives her deep dive on what she has learned about doctors over her practice. So the title is 10 Things in 10 Years. But as you may know from listening to other podcasts, not only is Catherine priceless for her financial advisement, but she also has become quite a psychologist looking at us doctors. So if you want to listen in and potentially learn a little bit more about yourself, let's hear what Catherine has to say. Well, I started thinking about this in April 2021 because it marked 10 years that I had devoted my practice to doctors. And I, so I was just thinking, how have things changed over the last 10 years? And what have I really learned from doctors? And a lot of this was a bit of a surprise. So with that said, I think I'll start with item number one. Doctors need a lot more help on their finances than other clients. And I want to underline that a lot more help. Very interesting. Is that because we're such a disaster or is that become factors outside our control like we've talked about in the past cost of education etc yes i think it's a lot of that you're a you have very short time frames not just in the fact that your working life is much shorter but you're so busy that you can't be uh, uh, had the length of meetings that I would normally like to get everything in place. So you know, very often we have to cut the meetings down to maybe half hour or an hour when I really needed an hour and a half or two hours to kind of go over things. And uh, your job's stressful, uh, medicine is changing, they've got all sorts of other things coming in t- into this. So I just find that doctors in general need a lot more help. They're not as educated about finances. They don't teach you this in medical school. Um, all of this comes together for realizing these poor doctors just need more help. Well, we're glad you're there because one of the things that we've stressed is how important it is to get it right. And not that every decision has to be right, but you just have to have a good plan. And the sooner you can get that plan in place, the more likely you are to end up at your desired goal. I think you're absolutely right about that. So number two, is doctors don't have the margin for error in their finances that other clients have. And I think this is true because, as I mentioned in the last one, you've got a shorter work life. I mean, I was like 24 when I got out of law school and started, but a lot of our doctors in their mid-30s, sometimes even 40, before they get their big boy or their big girl job. So they have a much shorter working life. Their taxes are higher than a lot of the population. They have this incredible student debt. So many of our clients have got student debt that's equal to a house payment, in fact, higher than a house payment. And they work really long hours, kind of outputting to patients, outputting. They're a lot more tired and they're just more likely to make mistakes, partly because of their work environment. So they just don't have this margin for error in their finances that other non-doctor clients have. That sounds like a fabulous reality that all of us physicians have just signed up for. Yes, I know. 
They don't tell you that in med school, by the way. No, they don't. Unfortunately, there's a lot of other things that make it worthwhile. Uh, But it's a shame they don't show you the other side. I would say number three is I was surprised by how much doctors really appreciate our advice. And I noticed early on, I would have doctors offer to take me to the airport or take me out to dinner. And I was like, I was completely blown away. I was just so touched by this. And they're so grateful. Many times they will, well, I'll give them some advice about something and say, we can do A, we can do B. And they go, what do you think? What, you know, we, we trust your advice. We value rights. What do you think we should do? And that really means a lot to me. And I think part of the reason I love this practice so much is early on, I determined I only wanted to take on doctor clients that I would invite to my house for a barbecue. So you know, they're just people I want to hang out with because I enjoy them. I think they've made great friends. And that's just made it a lot of fun. I can only imagine. It's always nice if you look at your schedule and you only have to meet with people that you enjoy over the course of the day. Exactly. And I, poor doctors, you don't have that choice, right? You've got to take whoever comes in. But that's one of the things I feel I'm so blessed with is that I get to work with exactly who I want to work with. Awesome. So on to number four, I was surprised at how doctors can make really good decisions when they have good data, but they make terrible decisions when they're relying on the advice of their colleagues. So I see a lot of my duty and uh, a new client was asking me this recently, you know, did he have to follow my advice? I'm like, no, no, of course not. I actually just see my job as an educator. You know, because every single thing we recommend is going to have pros and it's going to have cons. That's my job. I want to give you the background on why I think this could be a good decision. We can talk about the pros and the cons. And then ultimately, it's not up to me to make that. It's up to you. And typically, doctors make great decisions when they have this good data. Well, it's funny because that's exactly how I view ourselves in medicine. It's up to us to provide our patients with the education, but ultimately, it's their decision. Exactly. And that's where it should be. I would agree. We each have the beautiful blessing to live our own life (laughs) on our own terms as we choose for better, for worse, right? I would say that's largely the case, but (laughs) I've been wondering a little bit about it recently, but that's a whole nother discussion. (laughs) We'll focus on the finances because if we go into politics, Catherine, it's going to get messy, isn't it? Yes. What a world we live in. It's going to get ugly. Totally. Uh, All right. Number five, doctors are not nearly as rich or making as much money as they think they are. And this was, it took me a while to really focus in on this, but I think a lot of doctors had their mindset about watching TV shows in the eighties and nineties. And sure. At that point in time, the stock market only went up. Taxes were really low. Your patients all loved you. And, you know, doctors were fantastically rich. And today, though, they're not nearly as rich, but they're still living this lifestyle as if they were rich. So I don't often tee it up to clients this way, but I think our listeners need to think about, do you want to be rich or do you want to look rich? And The cold, hard facts are that doctors today cannot spend as much money, particularly on fun stuff, as doctors could 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago. And so you need to think about, do I want to appear to the world as if I'm rich or do I really want a nice, big, rich 
bank account and investments. Well, admittedly, that's a quote I think about a lot because they have colleagues that are super happy driving a little Toyota pickup truck and <laughs> living a very austere life and are wonderful physicians. And I also see colleagues that are spending a lot of money and thinking nothing of buying a $3,000 pair of shoes. So the look there is clearly different. I can't comment about what's in the bank account. <laughs> well, this was kind of a surprise early on because I had a client come to me and she was like really upset. She goes, we, you have a saving so much more money than our colleagues and our neighbors. And, and, and it was like, I was completely wrong, of course, because I was having her save money. And I looked at her and I said, yes, but I know what they're saving and they're going to be in deep, deep financial trouble. Now, I didn't actually know her particular neighbors and colleagues. Don't get me wrong there. But I do know in general, those doctors that are like spending, spending, spending are going to be in horrific shape. If not now, then down the road. A lot of them are in bad shape now because they're very stressed and uh, they will certainly be in bad shape down the road. Uh, I'll give you an example. Years ago, we had a lovely anesthesiologist and was making, I don't know, 500 some odd thousand a year. He was in his early 50s. Um, I think he had quite, you know, a number of kids. They were in private school and so forth. But he had $58,000 in credit cards that he was carrying over. He wasn't paying it off every month. $58,000 for somebody making over 500000 a year. Now that tells me that he was spending more money than he made and that he was using the credit cards to be to finance that. So one of the heads up I'm hoping our listeners are thinking about is if you currently got credit card debt that you can't get paid off every month, that should be a wake-up call to you that you're maybe not as rich as you think you are. You're certainly spending more than you're actually making. I remember you bringing that point home on many podcasts. So. I can only agree, and particularly with the state of inflation that we're in, I think credit card debt can be a really scary reality for many people and potentially become even harder to get from underneath of. So plan well and start the attack now would be my thought. Exactly. Uh, number six, doctors have a higher need for tax and efficient investing strategy, strategies and that's because they are always going to be in the crosshairs of the IRS. So saving on taxes for doctors is much more important in my mind than for other clients. And elaborate on the crosshairs of the IRS. What makes us as physicians so attractive to the IRS? Well, because your income is going to be in the top five, for sure in the top 10%, but maybe the top five. And some of our clients, it's going to be in the top like 3% of the country. And that's where the IRS has obviously likes to focus a lot of their attention. So um, as you know, the, as, as we're recording this, there's some uh, legislation that's pending in Congress, and it's going to impact many of our doctors. And I know a lot of them are like, oh, no, it's not going to impact me because I don't make 400000 or so a year. But sure, it's, but you got to remember your spouse is going to be included in that conversation. And the, it's not passed through Congress yet. And my experience, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, is that typically those thresholds get pushed lower and lower and lower, meaning more and more doctors are going to be impacted by some of the legislation that's pending. For sure. And, and some of the tax proposals really are could be very bad for our, our doctors, not just the ones on increasing um, the capital gains tax, which will make their investments, obviously, less lucrative because more is going to go to taxes. 
But there's some movements to get this, quote, wealth tax, which would be an annual tax just based upon how much you've got in your investments. That, to me, would be horrific for doctors. Uh, there was another move to try to get something called mark to market every year, which would mean that uh, even though you hadn't sold your investments, you hadn't realized a gain for tax purposes in the past, they would still, the IRS at that point, if it passed, would still want you to pay a tax on the amount your investments had gone up that year, which would mean then that you have, may have to liquidate some of those investments to pay the tax, which normally you wouldn't have to do, or you have to have money in another account to be able to pay the taxes. So fortunately, none of all that has passed yet, at least at the time of this recording, but it's something that I always want to take a look at to make sure our doctors are in as good a shape as possible tax-wise. Which gets me to number seven. I I was surprised that doctors really don't have a clear understanding of taxes. Uh, many of I, many doctors I would see in their 60s and they might have three or $4 million in their 401k accounts. And they're like, oh, I've got plenty of money. I can retire. I'm like, no, that money has never been taxed. It's really only worth about half that. And they were, they were like completely shocked. Some of them didn't realize that at some point they were going to have to pay taxes on their 401k. But yeah, you, you know, you got tax deductions this year for that. They, they hadn't really put together all the pieces. So I think it's helpful to have a rudimentary understanding of taxes, how to reduce taxes now and in the future. And uh, that's a part of what I think is really important that we do. If you're working with a financial advisor, make sure that you're working with one that does tax efficient investing. Well, I couldn't agree with you more there. And it really does break my heart every time I talk to a physician colleague and they say, I'm all set. I'm investing in my 401k. I'm good. I don't need anything else. And I think, wow, yes. <laughs> I hope that's true. But goodness gracious, that gives me pause on so many levels. Yeah, that you talk about a horrible myth. I do not have a single client ever that has been able to live off of their 401ks entirely in retirement. And for one thing, it actually increases your taxes because all the money they would pull out of that is all taxed at ordinary income tax rates. And that's something else they really need to, to think about. Well, I guess there's always Social Security. That's going to save us, right, Catherine? Oh, sure. Yeah, so much so. I do not even put it in our projections for clients who are under 50 because I just don't know if it's going to be there. Because there is an income limit as to when you can even collect. Is, is that true? No, there's not an income li uh, limit now. So even our wealthiest people in this country who are over 65 can still get some Social Security payments. It's all going to be pretty much ta all taxed at ordinary income tax rates. I just don't see how they can continue paying that going going forward. I could, hope I'm wrong. And I ran, read some statistics about it's supposed to be run out of money at some point in the future. It's not within the next couple of years, but with at some point in the future, the Social Security, quote, trust fund is supposed to be out of money. So we'll see. I think it's more likely that it'll be, if it's there for younger doctors, I don't know that it will be, that it, the taxes would eat up a lot of it. Interesting. Well, I like your comment there about it's not even a part of your calculation. So that tells me it's such a minimal part of the savings plan that we shouldn't even be thinking about it, let alone counting on it. Exactly. And to me, it's more like frosting on the cake. <laughs> we can do that. Excellent. I see here, number eight, doctors haven't given thought to living their best life. I know this has been a big push for you, really looking at the quality of life and and reaching your potential. Tell us more your thoughts here. Yeah, as I told you, and, and we recorded this in a recent podcast, 
I was just surprised at how unhappy doctors are, how stressed. And this was my shock when I realized so many of them were on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medicine. And I think they haven't given some thought to what kind of work brings me joy, but what kind of work environment brings me joy. I, so I think doctors need to be considering what kind of environment is best for me? What kind of uh, patients do I like to work with? What kind of um, clinic or hospital setting do I like the best? Do I feel is a really good fit for me? How can I live my most productive life and do it in a way that brings me joy? And like I said, we're just happier. So happier people live longer and they're a lot healthier. And that's a huge part of where I want my focus to be with our doctors over the next couple of years. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's funny, I was with a friend the other day who's not in medicine, and he made the comment that for all of the health knowledge and the physiologic knowledge that doctors have, why aren't we more healthy? Pointing out the fact that many physicians that he knows continue to smoke, are overweight, make bad food choices, don't exercise, all the things that we preach to our patients and don't necessarily practice on ourselves, which of course to me says, one, not only are you not living your best life, but two, a lot about your emotional state, your psychological state, and perhaps that lends to the reality you were speaking of where physicians often need medications to keep themselves going. So talk to us about doctors' expectations. What should they be thinking about or or what are they not thinking about thus far that really is astounding to you? Well, I came up with maybe six or eight that I found doctors actually have very unrealistic expectations. And this is very important because obviously when I'm working with a client, I want to make sure I understand their expectations to make sure we can meet them. Because if we can't meet them, they're not going to be happy. So I think doctors need to get realistic expectations about their finances. So um, in no particular order, I just have a whole bunch of them. One of them I found that doctors uh, don't have good abilities in general to choose investments wisely. And now this is not every doctor, it's not all the time, but in general, I found that that was, a, that was an issue. They Number two, they found that they really didn't know how much they should be saving. And a lot of times they did not know how much they could save. So I'd run some numbers for them. I'd say, you know, in order to get to this goal, we're going to need to set aside 3000 a month for whatever it is. And they'd look at me kind of like a deer in headlights. They're like, well, I don't know if we can do this or not. And that's why I started doing literally a budget with every single client. I went in and we ran numbers for them to show them what they were spending per month to see whether or not this was doable. So anyway, how much they can save and, and what, how much they should save, they were unrealistic about. Uh, they're also unrealistic about what it's going to take to pay for kids' college. I have a few docs that don't want to pay for their kids' college at all. That's fine. That's certainly their choice. But keep in mind those schools are going to assume that you're paying something for your kids anyway, and that's just going to put more of a burden on the kids to have more loans or have to work or whatever. That's fine as long as you're aware of that. Uh, another real uh, unrealistic expectation is how much house they can afford. A lot of doctors are on the house poor category because they've, once again, they think they're a doctor from the 80s or 90s, so they've got too much house. Um, very often they don't know how much taxes they're actually paying. It's a lot more than they think. It comes out of your paycheck every uh, couple weeks. You don't really notice it, but it's a lot in taxes. A lot of doctors have this unrealistic expectation that because they're so smart, that this intelligence is enough to make good financial choices, even though they don't have all the facts. 
for them. Uh, and they also are extremely unrealistic about how much money it's going to take for them to live on in retirement. They, they, they're shocked by how big of a portfolio they need by the time they retire and what it's going to cost to fund their lifestyle in retirement and to pay the taxes. Your last point about the cost of retirement, that really strikes me in two ways. One is I think that doctors live a very high lifestyle and they may not always be aware of actually how expensive their lifestyle is. But two, particularly with inflation, just how much money you're going to need for retirement. It just seems like those calculations, even in the last few years, have changed dramatically. Yeah, it's really, if I ask clients, you know, how much do you think you're going to need in retirement? They'll go, oh, you know, I'm living on 150000 now or 200000 That's going to be fine. But I say, you know, by the time you get to retirement, you may need 400000 a year to fund the same lifestyle you have today. And a lot of them just can't get their brains around that. And that gets into this misconception they have about, well, I'm going to be retired, so my taxes are going to be lower. Well, you can imagine if you have to pull 400000 not 200000 but 400000 out of your investments to, to support the same lifestyle, you're going to have taxes on four hundred. You're not going to have taxes on two hundred. So your taxes are likely to go up. Always a good point. I feel like we should do a podcast on financial myth busters. But the other thing that uh, I think about is, you know, uh, for example, I was seeing a patient the other day that had pulmonary hypertension and they traditionally, this has been a very difficult disease to manage, but they had come out with a new type of inhaler that has been effective in managing his disease. But the price of it was $48,000 a month. Insurance didn't cover it. Thankfully, his pulmonologist was able to negotiate a deal directly with the pharmaceutical company to get the medication. Now, how long is that deal active? Will that deal be available to other patients? I think we are in very risky territory for the overall health of our society and the need for medications going forward and what those pharmaceutical companies are eligible to charge. So Gives me pause, no doubt about it. Whoa, that is a very scary number. Very few could afford that. (laughs) Very few people that I know could afford that. (laughs) Well, and then the last, my number 10 things is I really know that most doctors don't have enough margin in their life. And we've talked a little bit about this before. By margin, I'm talking about a lot of things that can add to this happiness and contentment factor that I really want for doctors. So margin to me means we've got extra time on our drive to work. We've got uh, extra physical energy. So if we need something at the end of the day, we're not totally tapped out. We've got emotional energy to deal with the emotional issues of our family members or friends. And we've got, you know, extra money left over every month from paycheck. We've got extra money in the bank, margin in all of these areas. And I think having that kind of margin just reduces the stress factor. And it gets back to what we talked about before, about living the best, happiest, most productive life, which is certainly my goal for all of our listeners. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I see that my colleagues are stressed. They're working hard. They're not appreciated in the workplace, which often leads to them just feeling very disrespected and devalued, which is not a good place to be psychologically. They're tired. I'm sure COVID has had a lot to do with that. It has dramatically changed 
our day-to-day <laughs> practice, if you will. So to all the doctors out there, hang in there. The work that you do is valuable and it is priceless and society desperately needs you. But again, don't forget to take care of yourself. So, so true. And I want to let you know, I appreciate all of you. You're on the front lines. You're, you're really saving society. So important. I do have one, one quick story to say. So I think many of our listeners know that my mother was a certified anesthetist and she obviously uh, trained many, many years ago because you all, we know that I am no spring chicken. So she was uh, uh, training many, many decades ago. She was telling me though, that when she took her nurses training before she became an anesthetist, that when doctors walked into the room, they had to stand up. The nurses had to stand up and show respect for the doctors when they walked into the room. I was thinking, whoa, has, has things changed from that to today? And I really feel badly for doctors. They're not getting respect from patients, and sometimes they're not getting enough respect from colleagues either. Well, interesting story. And just to go along with that, I think professionalism in general has changed. I think back to when I started medicine and the nurses weren't all white and they loved wearing their nursing pins that they were so proud of and they would have their nursing caps on. And now I would dare say if you go into any hospital or or doctor's practice, many times nurses and and probably doctors are like are in scrubs or, or hoodies. So so much has changed in our profession and in the uh, appearance such that professionalism, I think, has fallen a few degrees, to say the least. <laughs> Absolutely. But maybe, you know, to our point about living your best life, maybe those more casual, comfortable clothes are part of being happier and living your best life. I like that. <laughs> we'll go out with a vote for comfortable shoes. How does that sound, Catherine? <laughs> That's all in favor. I love my dance goes. <laughs> all right. Well, listeners, once again, there you have it. Catherine's wisdom, 10 things that she's learned from doctors working with us exclusively for the last 10 years. Perhaps there's some things that you see in there that really match who you are. And perhaps this is a wonderful time to reflect and just make sure that you understand your motivations, your goals are clear, so that when you're working and doing the amazing things that you do day in and day out, it's all toward a plan which will eventually reap you some quality time and some peace in your life. Catherine, thank you once again for your time. As always, we appreciate it. Listeners, thank you, and we look forward to tuning in next month. On behalf of Brown Emergency Medicine and the Brown Emergency Medicine blog, I'm signing off as Christina McAteer, Money Minutes for Doctors. Take care, you all.